So, hey, let me ask you a question. Ask away. It's 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 2018. So go back and go back in time. It's 2018. I was so young back then. We were just kids. We were just kids. We were kids with a dream <laughs> back then. I had I had energy and life, and I was a little less cynical. Who are the top cave divers in the world? In the world. In the world. Top cave divers in the world. What names come up in your head? Rob Harper. Uh, Rick Stanton. Rick Stanton. He's like he's on your radar back in 2018. You son of a bitch. You're cheating. This is called. You cheating son of a bitch. <laughs> You're looking at Google right now. Wikipedia top cave divers, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Wiki cave divedia. <laughs> yeah. Well, according to Vern Unsworth, who was a... Uh, an English bloke living in Thailand and uh, a, an avid, you know, caver. I think living the retired life down there when all of this Thai cave rescue first started happening. When he realized they were in over their heads and they needed cave divers, the three names that he wrote a little note and said, "We're running out of time. We need Rob Harper, Rick Stanton, and John Valantham." Which were the, I mean. Rick and John were, were definitely the two main names in everything that I read and everything that I watched about this Thai cave rescue. Now, I'll be honest, I was not familiar with these guys whatsoever. But again, that is my American bias view that I had, which is why I've enjoyed this year's International Cave Diving Month so much because... I've learned myself about so many people that were so instrumental in this silly little thing that we do and and how big how big it really is out there. I think when you uh when I hear cave divers, you know, Sheck Sheck Exley comes into mind. You know, Wes Wes Skiles is a name that comes into my brain. What about Larry Green? Larry Green. Winner of the com- TGDP Pandemic Madness. I think that's the biggest thing he's he's uh, known for. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's the top list on his Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not, somebody better get in there and edit this goddamn thing. Does he got a picture of that stupid-ass trophy he refused to take? <laughs> um, you know, big cave diver names like David Shaw. You know, remember... David Shaw name comes into my yeah. head of like people big explorers, but well, he's European. I don't know though. if it's just be yeah right yeah, yeah. No, he was European. what South African yeah 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 yeah. So I everything don't know if it's outside because... of the United States, North America is European to me. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're, that's because you're a goddamn American. I'm Ameri- stupid, <laughs> just ignorant. <laughs> Somebody's got an accent. You must be British. <laughs> I'm Welsh, you fucking wanker. It's like the uh, it's like the joke about the guy who goes into the pub, and there's uh, you know three three ladies sitting sitting at the the bar. They all got these you know accents. He goes over there and starts talking to them. And hey, what part of uh, what what part of England are you uh, you ladies from? And the the one lady goes, "It's Wales." <laughs> Yeah. He says, oh, oh, sorry. What part of England are you (laughs) whales from? (laughs) (laughs) You like that joke, don't you? (laughs) 
Um, so the Tom Luong Cave, Brando. Yes. You know they call it the uh, the Sleeping Lady, Sleeping Lady Mountain. It's uh, like like when you like pull back and take the big view of that mountain. It's shaped like a lady laying on her back. And there's a legend about that mountain. Did you know that? No. The spirit, the spirit of the lady got angry. And many, many years ago, there was a, a king in Thailand who had a daughter. And he was trying to marry his daughter off to try to find a prince. And she, however, was in love with the little shepherd boy. Did you know that? I did, actually. <laughs> no, how would I know this? You know who that little shepherd boy was? His name was Rob Harper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, she, uh, he, would, he would keep bringing her all these suitors, and she kept saying, no, not good enough. No, not good enough. No, 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 dad. No, dad. No. And that's because she was in love and had fallen in love with this little shepherd boy. And one day they ran off together because she was tired of getting pressured to, to marry these other prince suitors. And the king sent out his royal guards to find his daughter and this boy that had kidnapped her in his eyes. And they were staying in an area where this cave is, uh, kind of hiding, found shelter, and were making a little home for themselves to just leave and be on their own. And one day the, the boy went out for food and water and never returned because the king's guards had found him and killed him. And just brokenhearted and distraught, the, the princess killed herself with a hairpin. <laughs> with a hairpin, eh? Yeah. What did she do? How did she, what did she like stick it in her trachea? Yeah, she, yeah, she stick stabbed it in herself. her heart. What did she do? Poke yeah. her eyes out? What the hell? The how blood. Did, of all the, the things blood that... to kill yourself with, you pick a hairpin? I'll get. She I'll get in, back at you. She dad. was in the jungles of Thailand. She didn't have uh, a tiger. What she could do? You could go out and what just she to wait go around, smack a tiger in the face. Wait around and bait a tiger? No. You don't gotta wait. You can go out there everywhere, especially back then. They're everywhere, man. You could go jump off a cliff. You used a hairpin. A hairpin. She, she was desperate. <laughs> it's like, well, did you ever hear of the legend of uh, the princess of Scuba Pro? She killed herself with a split fin. She smacked herself in the face with a split fin until she died. It's, uh, that's actually going to get two hits with every with every swing. Well, yeah. it's, not, it's not a bad idea. The rotating actually. action of the blades, they produce so much thrust, no one can stand she it. She actually sat and thought it out a little bit. <laughs> the princess of Tam Luang, she was emotional. And the blood from her head is what made the river that would cut away the cave and her body laying there eventually made this mountain the mountain built and grew around her body that's why it has the shape of a a lady laying laying there in the woods okay well so hold it a hairpin produced a wound from a hairpin produced so much blood it made a river is this what i'm to understand this is what they want us to believe this is nuts <laughs> Listen, if you want to sit there and come up with your idea of it being karst, <laughs> a rocky karst area with, with groundwater seeping, 
Go ahead. No, I'm with you. It's cool. Uh, the hairpin. Kill yourself with the hairpin. But yeah, so uh, you know the the Thai people over there. I mean, this is a this is a, like a national treasure, especially to the people that live in that area. You know, they come and they bring offerings, and for many months out of the year, this cave is shut down. Like you can't you can't get into it because the the river rises the, inside there. It's completely flooded out. But for part of the year. That river falls, and it's there's areas that are wet, you know, where you can walk through. But I mean, this this thing goes like six miles back. It's a big. It's one of the biggest caves in Thailand. Not the biggest. I think it's like the fourth biggest cave in Thailand. But much of it is dry, walkable cave. And then when it's flooded, it's not what we think of as. A beautiful cave dive. Right. And I think that's why, you know, we as Americans are so jaded is because, you know, we get to see video from someplace like Jenny Springs, which is beautiful, crystal clear, gorgeous water. Right. Yeah. The caves were created different ways. So, yeah. you know, we 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 look at, you know, cave dives of the Yucatan Peninsula and Mexico. Right. Gorgeous, crystal clear water, magical cave dives. So when we think of like big cave diver names, you know, it's it's understandable that the people that are in those areas, you know, that are exploring those areas, you know, we think of the Jablonskis and the Bogartses and the... Yeah, there's so many people that are exploring and, and putting out amazing footage nowadays. I mean, the, the, especially with the video camera quality nowadays, everybody's got amazing stuff anymore. So it's understandable that somebody like Rick Stanton that never came up on my radar in the past because he's swimming in mud for the, for the most <laughs> part. You know, it, it's just not it's not making the rounds or it wasn't his name wasn't really making the rounds in our circles over here in the past. Yeah, not nearly as much as the the regulars that we already knew. You're right. Right. But now looking into it like what we have the last three weeks, like that Wookiee Hole exploration is an amazing story in its own right. Absolutely. Even though the the diving footage is meh. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's on a degree higher as far as difficulty uh, just because you've got a decreased visibility you've got a lot of shitty viz and b you've got some dry caving to do you've got to be a dry caver before you can be a cave diver yeah you've area. got you have to be a caver not just the glory of being a couple thousand feet into a beautiful cave like you've got to be a, a, a hard-working caver. And when this all occurred and the boys got lost over there in Thailand and Tan Luang, at first it was, you know, it was the end of the day on that, that first day. Sun went down. The boys should have been home. They came back to the cave. Their bikes were still outside. And... It was all the locals that were looking, you know, going in, looking around. Oh my God, the the water, the water's high, right? The, the, the that that storm had come weeks and weeks early, 
And then it, it went from just like the locals looking to like local rescue teams, like experience with that cave, experience with that area, you know, actual actual rescue people. But were they cave divers? Were they divers? Not even close yet. Yeah, this was a unique situation where you needed the a particular skill set to get back. There. Right, and the first guy that got the call was the local expert, that Vern Unsworth. He went in, and and this guy has extensively been studying and, and mapping out and learning all about that cave, different access points into the cave at the top of the mountain that uh, him and uh, a bunch of the guys that he was with were. I mean, he was had just been there for a long time, just enjoying that. He comes in, and, and he's the one that realizes we don't need cavers; we need cave divers at this point like we need divers in general at, was his first call which is where the navy seals came in the thai navy seals are they are they navy seals are they called seals there or they're just like the equivalent they're a special ops group no they're they were thai navy seals they're seals seals yeah but they're not cave divers right because well, they're not right. doing they're not doing any missions into the caves up until this point which goes to show you um you know the value that cave diving can bring to dive education in general as we've brought up numerous times on our show over the last five years now absolutely so that cave splits off into two ways as you go in that entrance it takes a sharp turn to the right or it takes the long way to the left and Vern was smart enough to know that they're going to the left. That's where everybody goes. They're probably going to, uh, what do they call it, Padilla Beach. Okay. Like, right. That's what I would have said. Nobody, nobody in their right mind is going to go the other way because it, it's more difficult cave. It's not as pretty. You know, everybody wants to go back to this one area. So he had that knowledge, which was really good because that saved a lot of time in exploration of, of go this way. They had a staging point that they have eventually set up uh, that was that they would call chamber three, which was like the big staging area. But that was a couple of hours of just caving to get back to before they ever even really got to the, the, like the diving part, like the main, especially the main diving part. I mean, these Navy SEALs, hell-bent on getting back there, took them an hour from, you know, the entrance of the cave just to get to that staging point, which would be called Chamber 3. And they were the ones that actually f broke through those first couple restrictions. It was those Navy SEALs. Now, because they weren't cave divers, they were just hardy, tough disciplined work your ass off put your life on the line you know badass military guys highly trained highly trained Don't forget that. but not cave divers but like, not in cave they diving. were they were going in like busting through looking looking for this way through making through these restrictions realizing they were getting low on gas turning around and like <laughs> like literally like like popping their heads up at like the last goddamn second 
out of air, you know, back at back at chamber three, you know, like nearly running out of gases. So this is where, you know, Vern and the gang were realizing, nah, we need real divers, cave divers, not just people who know how to breathe on scuba gear underwater. We need cave diver professionals. That's where he made the note, right? Because by this time, we're a couple of days in to the search and there's already thousands of local villagers gathering around, like looking for these boys, like curious what's going on, making food, like helping out. So he left that note that had those names of Rob Harper, Rick Stanton, and John Valantham. Like, we need these guys because they were on that British Cave Diving Rescue Council. Right. And they'd already done a bunch of uh, rescues around the world. Uh, Dry cave, wet cave, like these guys were, if you're lost in a shitty, wet, nasty cave, these guys would go around and do these rescues. So again, it makes sense. Like this is right up their alley. Maybe I have an idea. Maybe we should go get lost in a cave, and then they can get called, and we can interview them for the podcast. <laughs> Who's with we'll <laughs> we'll have a cooler cooler full of food, months worth of food and beer and rum, just sitting in there. Satellite TV. Hey, guys, you made it. Recording equipment, (laughs) everything all set up, a chair, table. Rick, John, pull up a seat. (laughs) We've been waiting for you. You know, what I realize reading and watching stuff, I mean, there's so much information that (laughs) this is a difficult to try to do in an hour-long podcast. Well, you know, you can't. You can't. Especially yeah. when like we got started, like yeah, let's let's uh, everybody wants us to talk about this rescue documentary. And just to even start talking about the things we want to talk about, we realized we got to go back to 1930 <laughs> and start talking about the Brits, the dry cavers, yeah. And and each one yeah, each one of these sections is is so big, so huge. That to even talk about the diving that these guys did in this actual rescue, there's so much lead up just to that. You know, four days in to um, to this search for the boys, there's already thousands of locals. The first thought that they were having was, let's basically cave in from the top of the mountain, like through all these like cracks and crevices and you know just from what the the ground water has opened up but i mean you look at these very very hardy tough as nails rescue workers these local thai rescue teams which were basically like like ems guys and the the smallest skinniest littlest one just got shoved further and further and further down these holes to to see if they could find a way in. That was one thing I watched in that documentary. You can watch it on YouTube called Against the Elements, which is all, it's all in Thai. 
for the most part. I mean, I mean, it's all subtitled, but it's interviews with a lot of these early guys that were were being sent in. Uh, the locals who just you know uh, had like a, a small, crappy little water pumping service that became vital, instrumental roles in trying to pump the water out. Uh, they finally get those pumps set up, and they started pumping out uh, like you know, a million liters of water in an hour. They were pumping out. And then something that I never remember any of the media bringing up ever in any of the, the stuff that I really watched other than this was that water like blew out houses and farmland, like these rice fields and these farmers that were, you know, at the base of the mountain where they were just like dumping the water out of the cave, like flooded out these people's these i don't mean like these big corporate farm millionaires i mean like little village farms you look at the interviews with these small farmers and they were they were like yeah that's what has to be done we have to save these boys so to be able to see the the camaraderie like the people coming together i think that's what was the most amazing part about this is all the people that came in to help and when i say that i don't mean when all every single goddamn news media popped up they are not there to help they're yeah and turned it into yeah. a circus I, I i think that's where the help actually stopped and then it was just all about ratings it and was money always and about numbers that. and advertising yeah well i wasn't always at in early media, on it, it was, was just people people yeah. in the media i agree it was just people wanting to help but then it turned into like i got to get my face on this story of of this rescue oh who well who was doing that was that other than the media because i have to believe the divers were all business the navy the thai navy seals were all business the cavers were all business and that's what i mean yeah yeah that that part was all all business it's man once cnn shows up credibility has gone out the window number one number two it is a circus, and the, the personality. Right. And then are, you, uh, then you need, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's every single media outlet needs to be there on scene. Like really, like everyone, like you're just making this more and more and more difficult. And when the guys, like when the divers actually got all of all the boys out, and like their job was done, they were like trapped. <laughs> At the cave entrance, you know, they've been busting their asses. All they want to do is get back and have a couple pints of beer and a pizza or whatever, you know, but they're trapped. They had to get Thai pizza. <laughs> they, yeah, they had delicious. to get, you know, by the way, <laughs> you had to bring up they wanted to have a pizza. I don't know. These are not Americans. That's yes, true. We would want a pizza. They probably want something more refined. But they had to get snuck out of there, in an, crammed in an ambulance. To escape the media? Because of, be, to escape the media is the only way they could get out, you know. They, so they were hidden in an ambulance to get back to the hotel so they could just finally relax and go, damn it, we, we, we did it. We finally, we, we can finally relax a little bit. Now, the Thai Navy divers... I would like to to mention that, you know, these guys were were just in like your typical scuba gear. 
you know, BCDs on their backs. With with a you know BCD regulator octopus I'm, kind of a, I'm surprised a setup. not in a breather. And they and they were towing like dragging along like six additional cylinders, like going through. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what people need to understand with the diving portion. Right, this isn't. This is why it's you know cave diving, and and then there's this style of cave diving which is even further beyond just being a diver as well as being a military diver. I mean, there's so much difference that goes into how scuba evolves beyond what so many people only know of. I take my open water class. I take my advanced class. I start my dive master program. Right. Yeah, it's a little, well, military diving is a different animal. Pretty much. But in their minds, right, this is, uh, this is what they've trained for. True. I mean, to a, to a degree, but, I mean, they were the only casualties. Yeah, very true. And I, and I, guess, I guess that's my point is, like, the heart and the soul and the determination, despite putting themselves in extremely dangerous positions that they're not even aware of, I, I think is the biggest tragedy. I think, right? they, I think you probably hit it uh, the nail on the head there. They're not aware of cave diving. Uh, you don't know what you don't know. And yeah, you, you go through a Navy SEAL school, all the different training departments and schools. If you make it through, which very few people do, you come out with a, you know, a huge ego slash confidence, you know, level of confidence. And sometimes that can hurt you. Right, because that's, well, and I think that's what happened here, especially when you look at Saman, the, the top, I mean, he was a retired Navy SEAL, right, who came back. He's like, there's no goddamn way I'm going to sit here and, and watch this go down. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm rejoining my old uh, team, and I'm going to help bring these boys back, you know. So, yeah, like what you were just saying of, like, You've gone through some hardy-ass training, no doubt about it. But this is a totally different animal, which I don't know if that is right in line with what we've been saying on this show for years about, like, is it worthy to even, you know, re-examine the big global perspective of breathing underwater education? What What do you mean? Keep going. You know, because the, the, the main focus of all dive education is... Don't hold your breath. <laughs> yeah, well, it's... it's it, yeah, it, it's not from the end game perspective. You're right. Right? It, it's from just get in the water deep enough that you can be in the swimming pool shallow enough to stand in, learn a couple skills and stand up if, if, if you get uncomfortable, and then you slowly yeah. start learning these pieces to take you further, but that also means... You got to relearn everything along the way because there's so much that you don't. There's there's not a cohesion to everything. It's always a, a, a completely different branch that you have to take. I mean, you're right from your point of view, but the end game is in mind from the point of view of train the training agencies or the training department, I guess. In in the sense of the end game is for you to buy equipment and more classes. That's the end game. The end game is for you to empty your wallet 
into their coffers. Okay, if you go into it with that as the end game, it fits perfectly. It's like get them in the water as soon as they can, have them breathing. They'll, f- they'll be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I just need better equipment, and I'll feel more confident. And I'll take some of these classes. I'll get some more cards, and I'll feel more confident. And that's that's the end game right there. More cards, more equipment. Right. Well, you definitely, yeah, you definitely see that in the recreational yeah. world. You're no right. doubt about yeah. it. In the Technical commercial isn't world. So much. I the, agree. Uh, yeah. the, um, but then again, I think it falls in line even what, like with these Thai Navy SEALs. They're not poorly trained. They're, I mean, they're extensively trained, but they're not correctly. trained in yes. a path. Like, yeah, so to learn the cave aspect, they have to have they have to stop at yeah. that roadblock and they go, you gotta completely learn something completely different and new. And the question that I just have on my head is why does it have to be completely right. different and new? Like it there should be a more cohesive approach to the whole game. I agree. I agree. Is no, all I'm, I'm with is you all I'm saying. I see where you're going, and, and you're absolutely right. If, if you lay the foundation of diving out, you know, what is the foundation? What are the cornerstones? And you start from that point knowing that you want to build upon those, not have to teach them how to dive, and then when they go into something new, they have to forget 90% of that crap go into something completely different. Now you've got two different, basically, operating systems working against each other for the most part. Right, yeah. right. I mean, awareness in the water completely changes. Gas completely planning changes. completely changes. Uh, you know, the team completely Buoyancy and, and these control are like foundational things. Yeah, yeah, Everything. like it all changes. But these are things that you learn, and you learn a lot about in every one of these branches. But none of them mesh together in the big end game. Like uh, it blows it blows me away. Yeah, it's not very well thought out in that respect, for sure. Are there other activities that that approach in that same manner? It's just like willy nilly, uh, <laughs> not not a well thought out system as far as laying a foundation that can be built upon instead of laying a foundation that you tear down and put a new foundation in when you want to expand your horizons. Right, right. I I think uh, what what we're starting to see and uh, what what I can definitely see, thanks to this month's special holiday of International Cave Diving Month, is I can see that we are still growing and evolving as a scuba community as a whole, which I think is, is good in the long run. I, I think uh, you know a couple of decades from now. I think th- there's a good chance that the whole scuba program will evolve into something better and different because of how much cave diving has grown in the last couple of decades, and how much technical diving has grown, and how those activities are so accessible to people nowadays that it was such a weird fringe a couple of decades ago that now. You know, people see all day long on social media, like the most extreme of cave diving, and that's what's bringing them into the sport. Or they see the most amazing deep water shipwrecks, and that's what brings them into the sport. Whereas, you know, in the 1990s, diving was, you know, going to Grand Cayman on holiday and uh, 
you know, checking out Stingray City while you're there. You know, it, it, it was going to the Great Barrier Reef, you know, to swim around in, you know, 10 meters of water. Yeah. I mean, technical diving was in its infancy, and, and those who were pursuing it were on the fringe, very edge. And there wasn't a lot of formal training for it. So a lot of the stuff was being made up as they were going along. It took some smart individuals to get together and, and start to put a system together. Yeah, and that's why you're seeing agencies today, right, which, which have structured themselves in the complete opposite fashion of that end game fashion of we need a system that has to work here. How do we re, you know, reverse engineer it so that when you first learn scuba, you're on some sort of a consistent path. Right, something that you build upon, not destroy and rebuild, but build upon. Yeah. Um, and we should point out, too, I mean, I know we're talking about the differences in the type of diving that is required inside of a cave and what the, uh, in particular, the Thai Navy SEALs, the training that they had in, the, in their type of diving. We should point out that there were two, well, one was a former Thai Navy SEAL, and he retired, and he, he died. Coming back, he ran, ran out of gas, suffocated, coming back from dropping off supplies, right? Right, yeah, because these guys were heading out to that chamber three. Like they, they were shuttling bottles, right? Shuttling bottles back and forth, right? Because they needed that, yeah, they needed for that further exploration so much equipment back there. Right, exactly. I mean, this was, this was a, <laughs> a long operation and, uh, with a lot of logistics issues. But um, so he he died technically as a uh, cave diving accident, right? A cave diving incident. Um, but right. The other uh, Navy SEAL, the Thai Navy SEAL, did not die from diving. He died. Right. He died later from a blood infection that he got inside of that cave. A rare blood infection. You should point out. So. Yeah, because uh, again, I mean, you're you're crawling through. It's filthy dirty water i mean yeah there's a number of i think we've talked about it james there's a number of uh you know there's brain infections you can get from the brain we uh... learned about (laughs) nigiri falerai back at halloween but yeah so i mean and that was one of the things like when um when rick and john finally you know got all the way back and found the kids right you know then they started like shuttling i mean they're doing dives like multi-hour dives right to get all the way there and back right so they started doing those like shuttling supplies shuttling food shuttling you know uh blankets um medical supplies they took a couple of the navy seals i think there's like three or four navy seals that they staged back there like just to be with the kids to attend to some of their wounds because they're walking around that cave barefoot yeah so we should get, give an overview because not everybody's familiar with the, the Thai cave rescue that went on here. I mean, as far as the overview was how many kids, how long did this last, uh, the ages of these kids, before we forget to give that because it paints a better picture of what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely tell the people about the wild boars. Yeah, that was the name of the soccer team that uh, got stuck there. That were the boys. Um, they were down there for nine days before they were even found. You had a soccer coach and these boys. Twelve, Yeah, 12 boys and uh, the coach. So there was a total of 13. Right. So they were down there for nine days. Took another eight days to get them all out. 
But uh, this coach was pretty amazing, too, keeping them calm. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Oh, man. Yeah, you got 12, 12 young boys. I mean, these guys are all like in their pre and early teens. Yes, exactly. And they're probably not as, I mean, if you looked at it happening to our American, let's, I'm going to do a little American bashing like you like to do. Uh, <laughs> if they were American kids, these kids would have had some uh, severe post-traumatic stress disorder because their phones weren't working. They had no uh, PlayStation. They uh, there was no fast food down there, so it was no, a quick weight no. loss diet for most of those fat American piggy boys that are are on that team. <laughs> okay. Well, could you imagine, like, your boys, like, uh, when they were, like, nine, ten years old, like, if a, uh, a gang of, the, of them at that age? My boys weren't, my boys would have been fine. I'm I'm very confident. They're, they're not like normal boys, trust me. Trust me on this. <laughs> it would have been hard. Can you imagine being Chaos. a parent? Would have been well, well, yeah, difficult. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, that's the, I mean, the, the, the point of the coach is, responsibility that he has on his hands yes right with with those 12 boys no matter and and these boys seem to be pretty well mannered but you know there had to be some pretty trying moments early on like at day one day two day three right i mean uh well the coach practiced buddhism he's buddhist yeah he was a he was a training to be a monk at one point so uh, the the mental clarity, the calmness of mind, that kind of thing is a big emphasis in the Buddhist world. I have to believe the kids in Thailand, Buddhism is is pretty popular. Yes, yeah. not I would say it probably was not unfamiliar to them at all. But having the coach there allowed you know him to have a chance to say, okay, this is this is the thing that you need to tap into. You got to tap into your mind. You've got to meditate. You've got to find peace. We we used to do this. For weeks at a time, just sit still and do nothing but breathe and, and focus on your thoughts. And that's all they had. So, I mean, luckily, like he was there to guide them in that. Again, I, I just think what it would be like to be that coach, me having dealt with uh, coaches and some great, I mean, there are some great people in coaching. But do you realize when you undertake this, like, hey, I'm going to take the team out to uh, explore a little cave. It'll be a little team building exercise. It's always great to do something extracurricular uh, together. It builds the team up and and you become friends uh, as well as a teammate. And now you're responsible for these 12 young people and and they're in a position staring death right in the face. Right, which is amazing. Like there's an interesting look at, a group of American kids versus this group of, of Thai kids, right? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the coach, you know, felt horrible that he had put all these parents through so much distress that he nearly killed all these boys, you know, just trying to take them out for some fun. And all of the parents, you know, were sending letters in along with the food that they were finally sending in, praising him. For, for what he did, which I have a hard time believing that's going to be the same reaction over here, you know, that's going to be, I'm, I'm calling my attorney, how, da- how could you dare take my kid in there? It's a completely different culture, and you look at, that's what I was saying, like, early on, like, when the, the thousands of locals showed up, 
you know, before the media circus showed up, the thousands of locals showed up. It was a, you know, it was a, a testament to their culture, community, their community. You know what I mean? Like it, it's everybody dropped everything. Nobody was like, ah, I got to work tomorrow. I mean, everybody dropped everything, started making food for all the volunteers that were there, you know, just doing basic services for everyone that was involved. It was a, a beautiful show of how people can come together. I think we'd still have that here. People are pretty good overall, but you're right. I do think there would be those that believe the, the coach is somehow culpable in this, that he needs to pay as if he's not already paying. Right. I mean, he's going to be paying psychologically for the rest of his life. Well, I don't know. I There is a happy ending to it, and I'm sure each one of those boys are a stronger and better human being for having gone through this. I would agree. And I think his, as, as a coach, like what you did, just said about like building friendship and, and building that team, like I, I think like taking the boys in that cave is a, is an excellent learning point. And, and like, it's something that he as a coach would be like, Hey, no, he could correlate that to being out on the, on the soccer field of like, Hey, we work together as a team to get all the way back to Patia beach, you know, and, and we need to take this, you know, nobody was arguing, nobody was yelling at each other. Like we need to take these traits and carry it onto the soccer wow. field. That's going to help us win games. And I, I could see him having that. That's a good coach. That's a good coach. That's a, a good leader. I mean, this is the stuff in the military you learned in leadership school too. And, and I saw good leaders in the military do that is you can't just be all work and, and that's when you get together and you function a lot better as a team if you recognize your teammates are human beings and learn a little bit about them outside, you know, off the field or outside of the job. So we would always have this kind of extracurricular. And actually, it was mandatory for us in the military. You will be at this party. You will be at this game. You will be at, you know, whatever the extracurricular activity was. But got to give the coach huge kudos. Yeah, because when, you know, the kid next to you, you know, little Johnny is... You know, not just the kid that keeps tripping over the ball. Right. And, and, and right, when Johnny is your friend that you connect to emotionally and psychologically and, oh, he's got these other things that you also really enjoy as well and he's, he's cool in these other things uh, and you become, you know, deeply emotionally connected, it disassociates the fact that he's got this one issue on the field that keeps messing up the team and they scored a goal against us, right? That's how you, you learn to grow and become better. Oh, absolutely. And and you stop looking at it like he's the kid who screws up the game for us. You, and then you work towards helping him get better at that. I mean, a- anyway, the long story short is I'm applauding this coach. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to have those 12 kids lives in your hand in a uh, predicament that doesn't look good i mean from their their point of view this doesn't look good <laughs> what are you gonna do no not at all right i mean and when we look back at like early on you know when the the divers finally got there when stanton and volanton got there um they had three plans it was either we sit here keep pumping out water and just wait it out for four months, right? Just stay on that little splotch of rock for four goddamn months. Or we're going to drill a hole from the top of the mountain all the way down 
and hope that that one hole creates a tunnel we can pull you out of. If not, nope, we're 200 feet to the right. We got to do it all over. Like, like, so they realized that, or it was, we're going to go in, get them and swim them out. And then like, could you imagine when they finally get all the way back there and they go, okay, coach, here's the plan. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to drug these kids up with ketamine. Right. And, uh, drag them underwater passed out unconscious you know sedated and then like the coach is the one that's got to translate because there's one kid that speaks english right so the coach has to translate all of this stuff to all of these kids and and tell them that hey these guys know what they're doing this is the way home and that's even still a huge question mark they don't know at all that this is like every one of them was a like when those guys got the kids out it wasn't like a yeah there you go it was holy shit it actually worked yeah well it's never been done before and i I, you got to give them kudos for for a coming up with that plan i think of the drilling drilling down from the top you take a huge risk that the whole cave is gonna collapse on right yeah you know on your (laughs) your soccer team down there so it was it was uh rick stanton who knew of the the guy the dr richard harris he was the uh he was another cave diving colleague and he was an anesthesiologist that they ended up bringing in you know so so he's the one that said okay this is (laughs) this is what we got to do like interesting side note um there was a team of Thai workers that got trapped in a little side passage. Oh, really? That that they tried to dive out. And we're talking like an very early from Swilden's Hole, you know, it's 15 feet of water. <laughs> like distance-wise, it's it's you're 2 3 feet deep. You got to be underwater for about 15 feet. And these guys, you know, they put a regulator in their mouth, tried to swim them out full on like panic mode, panic, like, like, well, shit can show, you imagine? Show. Right, right. So they tried to teach these guys about scuba real quick. Like, <laughs> this is, you put this regulator in, man, you, you breathe, yeah. you breathe through your mouth, you know, never hold your breath, you know, it's, it's right here. Like, that was such a clusterfuck, right? So this is why they decided there's no goddamn way we're going to, like, teach these boys enough about scuba to to cave, like, to cave dive. Like, there's a stretch where they've got to go, like, you know, like 2,000 meters of, like, tight restriction cave underwater. So that's where the idea of the only chance we're going to do is, if, I mean, if they're sedated and we can just, like, drag them through... And they're just dreaming happy thoughts the whole time. That's what I'd want for my kid. Uh, that's what I'd want for me if I were one of those kids. You know, I do not want to. Uh, I do not want to learn how to cave dive <laughs> under under the pressure of well, if you fuck up, you dead. You dead. Right, right. If you if you make a mistake, you're probably going to be dead. 
Like I, I wouldn't even want like if I was an experienced diver mm-hmm. and I'm learning cave diving, I wouldn't even want it to be this to be my first no. cave dive. Like you would finish, you'd be like, "Fuck this!" I, I'm, gonna, <laughs> it is not I'm going fun. back to <laughs> I'm going back to Cozumel, dude. Let the, yeah. Like this would not be an enjoyable time whatsoever. No. So that I mean that was a brilliant idea. So we kept hearing like in the documentaries that i saw brando and in, in that rescue that everybody told us to watch you know, the big names are, are are always rick stanton and john volanthan um van volhanthan richard harris but you know Rob yeah Parker. richard harris like those names were all over that right and, and you know there was but there was you know so many other divers that kept popping up in other things that i saw oh, this was multinational i mean you've, you have the air force pararescue was there i mean pjs major major military trained and, and equipped people there from all over the world amazing right and, and i mean these guys are traveling two and a half miles from the entrance back to where these kids are and when you look when you uh, go on youtube and just look up cave diving videos it ain't two and a half miles of that blue <laughs> no. majestic beautiful wiki watchy cave dive no, it's right? chocolate milk it's it's walking hiking dry caving diving sump dry caving long cave dry caving cave diving hiking dry caving right it's down and up down so when you look at what it took like rick and um john to to carry these guys that first stretch they weren't dry caving with these kids going into the next diving part diving with these kids dry caving with the like they took them like an area and then they got passed off and then somebody else was taking them in the next area passed off diving them passed off right to the point where that last you know part of the cave which was like a couple of hour exit you know uh, with the first couple of kids you know, like it was like three hour of a dry exit of thousands of people like doing the bucket brigade of passing the kid all the way out you know, I think a lot of people, when they first see, like, one episode of, of, of something about this, you know, cave diving rescue, they think it's two divers dropped in the water, swam back, grabbed the kids, and, and swam them out. It is infinitely more complex. More complex. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, and there are so many people involved, thankfully. I mean, it it is kind of, it, well... It takes a tragedy like this to bring so many people together, but they all worked together and uh, achieved a common goal and uh, a good goal. Yeah, well, there's a there's a whole another side story there of just like we we talked about the camaraderie that was built by doing the little cave dive for the kids soccer team, you know, or by going into the cave, which was for one of the kids' birthdays. You know, he just really wanted to go before the end of the season. He loved the cave. They knew it was rainy season getting close, and he was not going to be able to go for such a long time. Yeah, that's where the coach ended up taking him. But but you look at all these people from all around the world that got together to work together to accomplish this. That's an amazing accomplishment and a, a process of building a team in a whole different way. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
yeah, I think I think the feel good portion of this story is way bigger than the cave diving portion of the story. But um, here's a question for you. This is a look in your crystal ball. Do you think any of these kids are going to grow up and become cave divers? Do you think this sparked an interest, or did they say, uh, "Fuck that noise"? <laughs> it's a uh, really good question. I don't know. I don't know where I'd be. Like, would I be like? I never even want to see the word cave or Tom Luong ever again or does it build like a curiosity of like yeah does one of these become the the most well-known cave explorer by the time you know 2040 hits you know well all of these kids have a a huge group of quote-unquote heroes people to look up to and aspire to be like and I think that might be like uh, to me you meet a person at this age that you know, you're 12 years old or whatever, and you meet this guy that just rescued you, credible divers, special forces guys, the doctors, the, all of these people. There's so many people that came together, and you look at everything that they do, and you say, I want to be like that. Right. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I could easily see that to be the case, right? That, you know, one of these kids ends up being an anesthesiologist himself, right? One of these kids, you know, becomes a, a pararescue. One of them becomes a, a, a Thai Navy SEAL, stays in his home country forever. Yeah, I can easily see this. One of them yeah. becomes a podcaster. One of them uh, take, takes, over, takes over the Great Dive podcast. <laughs> Incredible podcaster. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's amazing. You know, again, this is a tragic event, but I think there's so much good that came out of it, especially in these kids' lives, the parents' lives, the community's lives. I think a lot of good came out of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, at, at the end of the day, other than, you know, the fact that there were two fatalities right, out, of those se- out of that SEAL team, um, everything else is definitely a feel-good story. It's, it's a big, a big, big happy ending. Right. Um, you know, you you feel terrible for Saman, yeah, and, and, and his wife, and mm-hmm. how tragic that was, and you feel bad for the other guy that, that died of infection. Yes. You know, you know, being the, the two casualties, but you know, you look at you know the the ego that you got to have as a to be somebody like a a Navy SEAL to be able to put that aside and happily turn over the diving operation to a bunch of these like ragtag group of uh you know middle-aged englishmen you know that that's that says a lot right there absolutely absolutely you know interestingly enough brando you know that that fatality of saman the thai navy seal is not much different then we looked at that Wookiee Hole exploration and the first fatality that occurred in Wookiee Hole, which was by, you know, uh, a British diver who was a military guy, a, a highly, remember, he was a highly experienced military diver. Yeah, it was commando. Who yeah. died in almost the same exact way as Saman died, right? Yeah, again. It had nothing to do with not being a diver. It had to do with not being a cave diver. Exactly. I mean, it takes a completely different viewpoint, a completely different way to look at undertaking a cave dive when you do the planning. And if you don't plan correctly, you run out of gas. Which is what happened with both, both of, of these them. guys, right? They lost their way. They lost their line. They, they lost their awareness of what they were doing, which is cave diving, 
right? They got lost in what they were doing in their head mm-hmm. rather than what they were really doing, which first and foremost, it's a cave dive and there's a set of rules that you have to follow if you're getting everybody home. No matter how exciting the dive gets, no matter how much you want to finish your mission, there's always that bigger mission that is part of what learning to be a cave diver is. Yeah, well said, Jamesy. Um, but I think, I mean, you can take take that from almost every cave diving incident. You can take that that uh, lesson from, you know, you have to be uh, trained and you have to follow your training. When you take shortcuts or when you're not trained, cave environment will get you. Right. And I, and I think, um, you know, as we close this episode down and close down Cave Diving Week, I think that's a, an interesting take for just the new divers out there that are listening, that are just getting certified, just getting into it. Is It's, it's a good takeaway to have is we look at a lot of these accident lessons learned a, a lot, and I think what it always comes back to is it's so easy underwater because usually the dives are magical and they're beautiful and probably nothing's going to go wrong. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in the beauty of the dive to forget the fact that you're diving. And no matter what, no matter how pretty the scenery is, no matter how amazing the dive is, you still got to ascend. You still need the gas for that. You still got to get everybody home. And that should always be the main focus. And it's never about taking pictures. It's finishing the dive. And if you get pictures, that's a bonus. right? I think that's an underlying principle of what our show's been for five years now. Yeah. Yeah, the dive comes first. And then all the uh, fun stuff. But essentially, you're diving first. So... Well, are we are we wrapping up uh, this this Thai cave rescue episode? I mean, I think everybody understands they they got the soccer team out. I think everybody knows that. And, and, and by the way, I w- I would like to say that the National Geographic documentary that just came out called The Rescue is a fun watch. It's a good documentary. I would recommend people go check it out. I watched one that Nova put out. It was another fantastic one. It was nice because it had a different perspective from divers that were different than just Rick and John and, you know, and the anesthesiologist, you know, uh, Harris, you know. Um, I watched that Thai one. You know, that was that was a great one as well. You know, the, um, the uh, Against the Elements documentary. There's a lot of good documentaries out there. If you haven't watched it, Go ahead and watch one. I mean, they're interesting, fun stuff. It's not great cave diving footage, you know, but again, it's because it's not good cave diving. (laughs) But it's a feel-good story, and it might cheer you up because, A, it's true, real event that happened and uh, had a happy ending and brought a lot of people together, and uh, unfortunately, uh, sacrifices were made, but overall... A lot of good came out of a tragic situation. Yeah, and um, thank you to everybody out there that has been telling us basically since 2018 that we got to that we've got to do something about this Thai cave. I guess for us, it, it was just so heavily in the media that we didn't want to jump on the bandwagon early on. And then when this new National Geographic documentary came out, and 
there was a resurgence of people telling us about it, and cave diving month was approaching. It was kind of a perfect storm for us to finally dive into this, and I, I love I love how it went because um, it got us to get back and take a look at the other side of the cave diving world that we usually don't even look at, even had paid attention to but we will from now on absolutely thank you great dive podcast thank you great yeah thanks great dive podcast (laughs) and i like how it's uh, also connecting the people with just basic scuba diving and and bringing it all together so good ending for the old international cave diving month Uh, there we go everybody we hope you have enjoyed great dive podcasts 2022 International Cave Diving Month. I can't believe it's already over. It happened yes. so fast. What's next, James? What's what's on the horizon? International Ice Diving Month? That is coming up, <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's going to be a weekend. Yes. The International Ice Diving Weekend is fast upon us. <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, we do still have some space in that uh, if anybody wants oh, we to do. come join us. Yeah, yeah. So if anybody wants to come join us on our cave di- or our ice diving weekender at the end of February up in northern Michigan, by all means, shoot us a message and get a hold of us. Come join us. It's going to be fun. If you want to learn, we are going to be running a class up there. If uh, you just want to come up and dive because you're already an, an ice diver and you want to join us for that, uh, we'll have space for... Uh, we have space Divers and personnel to to, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you should point out ice diving is uh, people and equipment intensive, right? Yes. So we will have manpower and we will have equipment and we'll have uh, heated tents and food and strippers, fire trucks, hookers, <laughs> booze. No. And a soccer team. And a soccer team. We'll bring our own soccer team uh, just to, as a tribute. To the Thai soccer team that was trapped in the cave. Let's bring a Canadian soccer team. Can we get a Canadian soccer team? No, they can't cross the border. Son of a bitch. All right, everybody. Uh, Thank you for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Until then, safe diving, folks. (laughs) 